0: All right, thank you guys. I'm John. My name is Jesse. Welcome if you're new to the church here at Tanu. Uh, great to have you. Um, good ways to connect and stay in touch is through our app. You can find that online at newchurch.com or through Instagram. It's got a link tree, places, things like news and giving and serving and connecting. So, I'm not going to go through everything today, uh, but lots of stuff coming up this fall with studies and groups and activities and dinners and mission trips and all the things. So, take a look at that uh, as you would wish to. Many um, of you knew I grew up in a small town on the Jersey Shore, a real little town called, Long, uh, called Beach Haven on Long Beach Island, New Jersey. A few weeks ago we looked at it on a map, this little sandbar off the off the coast and this tiny little seasonal kind of village I, I lived in on the beach. And real small. So my elementary school growing up um, was this building here, this old brick schoolhouse built in 1912. And I had probably between six and ten Students in my class through through elementary school. So sometimes it was as as small as six, and other times it kind of blew up to as large as ten. Right, ten kids. Really, really a small, uh, very intimate school. Small again, small town. Uh, kind of a tourist destination town, but I was my parents lived there year round, and so I did too. And went to this little school, a little little schoolyard by the beach, and uh, it was great. It was, a, it was a it was a sweet experience. However, going into middle school and high school from here was a massive transition because they pulled, pulled a lot of these smaller towns into a giant, large, regional, middle school, junior high and high school. And at the time, I was going, this went through sixth grade, and our junior high went was 7th, 8th, and 9th, and then the high school building was 10, 11 and twelve. And now, I think they, have, now they have to add another one. So it's like 7th, and 8th, and 9th, and 10th, eleven and 12th. But I went from this real little school to this giant regional school, thousands of students. I mean, I think my graduating class was like a 1,000 kids. It was a massive, massive transition, and terrifying, a terrifying transition. Uh, I was fairly introverted, and I, I still am to some extent, uh, growing up, I was, I was shy and, 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 you know, barely can get by, but had a couple friends in an environment like the little schoolhouse. It was like, your friends were the people there, right? There was like two other guys in the class. They were just your friends. You didn't have a, didn't have a lot of say in the matter of that. Um, but I went from this school, it, this little school, into this giant school. And again, it was, it was, it was, just, it was just terrifying. And it was lockers and, and changing classrooms and all these things I never had, had to do. Right. And, I, and I, had, I lost the people I knew in this sea of other, other bodies. And so I'm in a homeroom and, and the, the other guys who are in my class were not in my homeroom. And so I had all these new people and I, it was really hard for me, it was a really hard season. And one of the moments that kind of articulates or illustrates this season real well is, is, is the cafeteria. It's lunchtime. And I hadn't had this kind of thing before, but you know, you, you go to lunch and the bell rings and everyone gets in line, to get a tray and you, and you go to get your food. and And it's this massive room of just round tables, wall to wall round tables, and and just hundreds and hundreds of students, at least, you know, what it felt like. And and I didn't know where to go in that. I didn't have a, a person, I didn't have a place. And I kind of, on those first couple lunches, I, I bumped into uh, another student who was, I think was in my homeroom, and he kind of looked lost too. and we just sort of found a table, and we kind of created our own own table with sort of us and sort of a few other kind of randoms who didn't know where else to go, but we weren't, all of us were sort of in the same boat. So we didn't really talk much. We just sort of sat there and like, just prayed if we'd get through it, right? Just hoping that the, the end of lunch, right? It was, and it was just, it was scary, right? We, 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 we just ate, put our heads down, hoped the time would pass quickly. And what was scary was that some days, because it was kind of a, a little bit of a small group anyway, some days there was only two or three people at the table and you're kind of oh my gosh, it's like two or three people a day. There's absences or, or people moved on, they got accepted to, to another table. And one day I walk over to, um, to, to the table where you know, it was supposed to be and I, I can kind of see it as I'm approaching, there's like nobody there. Uh, there was no one, there was always somebody there. I, I, wherever my class was, I was always one of the latter people at the table and there was, there was nobody there and I didn't have any else, anywhere else to go. In this huge room yeah. a big round table and me, like nowhere to hide. And I just sit down like by myself at, at lunch in a room full of, of, of laughter and conversation and energy. And just looking at all these little groups. And when you had your table, when you found your table, it's almost like you could box everybody else out. Like, I, I found it, I got a place, and I, and I sat there by myself. And I was someone who already had a real hard time, having a hard time with middle school. Uh, I hated coming to school, and I just thought, I can't do this again. Like, I cannot do this a- a- again. Right? And somewhere in that discomfort of just, just praying, the time would go by, and I, and I don't know what I would do tomorrow. I hear, so, hear his voice call out, and they it, and it said, Julio, Julio. I look over and it's this, it's this kid I didn't really know, but he had play, we had played in the same basketball league like a year before. And he's looking over I me and he's motioning for me to come over to his table and he says, grab a chair. And his table is full. He says, grab a chair. And they make room at this table. Uh, he made a place. And so, you've heard this story before. I me. Mean, he made a place and it and, it, and it, it gave me a place to, to have a, a sense of belonging. Like I knew when I walked into the lunchroom, at least I belonged somewhere. Now, it didn't make the rest of the year go easy. It didn't solve all my problems. I didn't become best friends with everyone at the table, but I had a place to belong. And there was such a relief in that. At least it took that anxiety out of my, my day. I was able to get through a year. And I actually became friends with this, this, this kid, John Graziaceta, and, and we became you know, good friends over the years. And it was this incredible act, uh, created a sense of belonging for someone else. But I think often in terms, I was talking with, with Jason and Natalie about this the other night, and about this kind of imagery of particles and atoms and, and molecules floating around you know, in space and in orbit. And they're kind of alone, but when they meet someone or something that has a place for them, they, they find that place to belong, they attach. But they attach, and they're just kind of out there, like just zooming around all of a sudden, like, oh my gosh, there's a place for me to be. And there's an attachment. And sometimes it's like a real small group in, in, in molecules and in, you know, compound elements. Sometimes it's larger. Right? Sometimes it kind of looks the same. Sometimes it's really different, but it's a place to belong. Right? And even even as much as a, a place to sit at lunch, like was so super revolutionary to me in that moment. And it's fascinating. While well, these you know particles and and you, know, you got atoms and quarks and subquarks, all these things they they kind of have their own name, their own identity. But when they land and attach with something else, they become something more. They become something more. And you, and you look even at the deepest, smallest fragments of, of the universe, we, we find that very rarely is something floating around fully by itself. It's, it's often together in a family, right? often some kind of family of a you know, proton, neutron, electron in some kind of family, some place to belong, right? Belonging changes us. John Steinbeck says, uh, says this, I love this quote, when two people meet, each one is changed by the other, so you've got two new people. When two people meet, each one is changed, so you've got two new people. And that can kind of go in any, one, any different directions. But for us in the context of a Jesus-following community, we believe that creates more Jesus-like people. I meet the right person. I meet Jesus. I I change. When I hang out in community, I I can change. And Jesus, he was an initiator of of belonging. He has a place for us. If you think about the creator of of the universe coming to be with God with us, Was, was to give us a sense of who we are and whose we are. There's a sense of belonging that he brought with him, a maker of all things. He wants us to feel at home. And he wouldn't desire something for us. We believe God wants us to feel at home, to feel part of a family, to feel like we belong. He wouldn't desire for us something that he also doesn't make available to us. Right? And I love the prayer in, in, in John 17. I'm not going to read all of it today, but you're welcome to look it up. In John 17, and Jesus is praying for his disciples, his followers. And it's getting toward the end of his, his time, this, this season on earth. And he says, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. He goes on in verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you, you are in me and I am in you. Right, it's belonging. Right? May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He's praying for a unity and a sense of belonging to, to family. This Father, as we're, as we're connected, I pray that my people would be connected as well. And that's a lot. Are right? you thinking about Jesus and God pretty close? Pretty close, pretty intimate. Right? That's, a, that's a tight-knit group right there. And Jesus said, yeah, I, I want them to be like that. And then I wanna be with them. So they're in me and I'm in them. And this relationship that, that Jesus is praying for is illustrated in, in church and in body in communities, in Christian community. So a theologian by the name of Francis Schaefer says this, that our relationship with, with, with one another is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. The way we love one another is the final apologetic. And we know this to be true. This is why people on the outside have such a gripe with the church sometimes. You guys don't even love each other. You don't even love your own families. You just this bad-mouthing gossip. And like, that, that's, that doesn't do well for the church. But Jesus is praying that they can be unified. They can understand what it looks like to belong to one another in me. That's going to do wonders for the world. And he goes on to pray about this, equipping us with his glory, this supernatural, to become a supernatural community, supernatural love. And where we can live together and we can belong together and we can love together in these places, and it's not always easy, right? Because we don't all always think the same thing. This is God's heart for us to be unified. And we've seen so much of this in recent time, right? Can we be unified? Can we belong together? Can we love one another in, this, in, the, in the grand scheme right now, the scope of politics right? or, or medicine or pharmaceuticals or, or you know, football teams and burritos, all the things we argue about that are super important. But we can get along. That says a lot. That glorifies God. When we can survive like 2020 and all that stuff together and still be here, it says a lot. I'm super proud of our church community. We're probably coming into another season, right? The political stuff's heating up already, and and we don't all think the same thing. So often, when people ask me what our church's stance is on any number of hot topics, I say, well, it depends who you ask. Depends who you ask. Because it's different, and we're working it out together. Jesus, from the get-go, called people to himself, to to belong, to have a place to belong. And Jesus, as uh, many of us know, was, was a rabbi. Right? And not just like, they just call them you know, master. It means master in, in, in Jewish or, or teacher, or master teacher. And he's a rabbi. So he's recognized as a rabbi in the Jewish tradition. Uh, I mean, he excelled at memorizing scripture. He would have, would have known the scripture front and back, of course. And uh, not, only under, not only memorizing, but understanding it and teaching it. So he was, he, was, he was ascended to this kind of rank of rabbi. And it was every young person's goal in this young sort of first century Jewish tradition to, to become like this. Right, that was the highest thing, to be a teacher of the Torah. And so they naturally had to spend time or go follow a rabbi, right? And so students went to, went to schools, they went to rabbi schools to, to learn and teach and study. And there were quite a few who study, who would go through these motions, to become teachers, and, and they were called disciples, but they didn't, they didn't quite advance the rabbi. They just stayed in, in discipleship mode, even, even in an advanced age, right? And there were a few dedicated enough who would would get through and they would become rabbis themselves. And and Jesus was a little unique as a rabbi. If you think of him in his sense of who he collected and who he called. And and typically a a disciple, if you were going to go spend time with a rabbi, was very transitional. It means like, I'm going to be with you for a time with the goal of becoming a rabbi myself. It's not to stay here and be with you. It's it's to, to sort of get something from you, to pass this course so I can become something myself. But for the disciples, we'll see, Right? Discipleship with Jesus wasn't just a step toward a promising career. That's not what Jesus called them to. He called them to belong to him. Like that was the goal, to be with him. The following, the following of Jesus in itself was like the fulfillment of their destiny. This is it. You're with me. You belong to me. Uh, Jewish rabbis, of course, they, they stress separation from non-Jews and, and, and those who are not like them and those who are unclean. And Jesus taught belonging for everyone. He would sit with anyone. He would lay hands on anyone. Now, typically, disciples would actually choose their own teachers, like we might choose a school. Right? You look around and we see ones we like, what one's going to suit my needs? But Jesus flips this, he flips the, the script on this, and he, he calls people unto himself. He chose us, he does the calling. And disciples made time to belong. Disciples made time to belong. These were these were uh, young men, and uh, who were doing other things. They were working. They had they had uh, somehow had families and jobs and, and worked for family businesses. And they made time to be with Jesus because so when He called them, there was something special about that. Wow, I want to belong to that. I love the calling of Matthew, and three of the Gospels account for this. But we'll look at uh, Matthew nine today. As Jesus went on, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Matthew was a tax collector. If you're not if you're not familiar. Jesus said, follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Jesus, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come, not to call the righteous, but sinners. I love you, he sees Matthew, and he says, follow me. Now, Matthew, tax collector, if you're not familiar, real quickly, Tax collectors were hated in in this first century Jewish culture. Absolutely abhorred by people. They were they were even more than today, right? We don't like we don't like the IRS now. It was totally different. These are people who basically turned their back on their own people. Right. So it was a Jewish person collecting for the Roman Empire, they were despised. Uh, they were not people you wanted around. They were extortionists. They had a bad rap. All the things. Right. This is these are people you did not associate with. Uh, he probably didn't have that many friends. It was sort of tax collector. I don't know how he got there. Uh, that's what he was doing. When Jesus sees him right, and he says, follow me, follow me. And they went on from there. And it's interesting. He says, follow me. And then they go to Matthew's house. And, and, and Jesus leads him to, his, to Matthew's house. And he's like, hey, follow me. We're going to have dinner at your house. And I don't know how that came about, but Jesus must have been such a comfortable person that he got up and went. He got up and went. And Matthew's in a profession, a field that, again, severely disliked by Jews, which Jesus was, Jesus is with his other followers. He's like, these guys aren't going to want me here. But he got up and went. And he maybe would have had some way, like work acquaintances, but unlikely he didn't have too many close friends, just given what, he, what he's doing, what his job is. And he certainly didn't belong to a rabbi. Like, that wasn't going to happen. If he had that dream at one point in his life, it was, it was over. And he has this dinner, and his dinner changes his life. And he wasn't perfect from the outside. If you looked at it, like, is that guy going to be a good candidate for Jesus? wasn't perfect, but he was perfect for Jesus. He said, man, come, sit, eat, belong. There's so much power and a sense of belonging. And not only did Matthew sit down, all kinds of other people came and sit down. Like, we can sit with a rabbi. We, we haven't never been able to do this or haven't done this for years. Sinners and tax collectors sat at, at, at the table and ate with Jesus. And it changed their lives. It changed Matthew's life. There's just so much power in that. Accepted him. Accepted him as he was. Matthew didn't stay as he was. He, he had to make some changes in his own life, right? But that belonging sort of comes first. We talked about that belonging pre- precedes belief and beha- behavior. That's belonging. Romans says this, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. That's Romans 15. We are strong all to bear with the failings of the weak, and not please ourselves. Each of you should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. And this isn't easy stuff. This is not easy stuff. And he says, we, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. You know, this is in our communities. This is the context of like, believers being together. Not just bear with, like, oh, bear with them. Hopefully they don't last long. Hopefully they you know, figure things out. Bear with is, is not a great translation. It's really bear up. It's to lift up. It's to put your hands on and, and help along. Those who are strong help those who are weak. Right? Accept one another as Christ accepted you. When Christ accepts us, he accepts us with all kinds of junk. Uh, we, we, have, we are not perfect for the job on the outside. So, he yeah, accepts accept you. Come, come. And just sitting at a table doesn't change your life. i in the worship team. Come up, we'll get ready for communion. Just sitting at a table doesn't change your life because we've all probably done that. Right? Just, just like just coming into a church building doesn't change your life. It's the people at the table. It's the people at the table. And we who have been following Jesus because Jesus again now, he, he's doing this himself. He's inviting people, but he's someday going to leave. We'll see, and the disciples are going to have to do this. So he's inviting us, those who are followers in Christ, like, to be table leaders, to be table leaders, to make room, to open up seats, right, to create space. And I find with myself, the more secure I am in who I am and whose I am, who I belong to, the easier it is for me to allow others to belong, as they are. Great. Because I know where I come from. And it was a pretty messy place. And I know the grace that's been extended to me by Jesus and people like, like John Graziacera and those who have given me a place to belong. So our goal is not just, oh, belong, great. Because church can be like that, like the table group. Like, oh, we're all here now. Box everyone else out. We have our friend group. I got my small group. I got my kids got friends. Life's too hard to think about anybody else. But man, so much a part of our calling of following Jesus is into those spaces of tables and, right, meals and who's feeling left out? Who can I help to belong? So God, as we uh, as kind of close out in song, community, community and meditation, let's um, your presence to be felt. Particularly those who feel outside. And that can happen in the church, it could happen in family, it can happen with friends. If you're just feeling uh, feeling on the outside of everyone, like you don't belong, I pray that Jesus would speak to you because that's where it begins. Amen. Yeah.